0: All right, Jen Cooper the Keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mix Zone Women's Soccer Podcast, sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. This is episode number 279, and with that number, we'll give a shout out to defender Emily Sonnet. She has played 279 minutes this year for the U.S. Women's National Team. All right, two chats today. First with my friend Karen Teven from The Athletic UK. Karen and I talk about England's She Believes roster, which was recently announced. Also look ahead at the plans for Team GB this summer at the Olympics. And also uh, the reason behind why so many Australians seem to be making the jump to European leagues. Then I have a chat with former Stanford and Glasgow Celtic player Haley Rosen about her new business venture, a website called JustWomenSports.com and what it's like to transition from playing to a quote unquote real job. In between the two chats, of course, is my new recurring segment called Gensplaining. Each segment will explain off the field rules or procedures or maybe look at a bit of history to explain why things are done a certain way. This week, I try to explain as simply as possible why England competes as Team GB, aka Team Great Britain in the Olympic soccer tournament. And of course, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at KeeperNotes and also at MixZone. And of course, that's two X's in MixZone. All right. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Kieran Taven from the UK or also the Athletic UK, the soccer writer for the Athletic site over there. Kieran, so glad to have you on to talk uh, Team GB, England and She Believes and and all kinds of things over there. Jen, always a pleasure. You
1: know, I love being on your podcast. So thanks as always for inviting me on.
0: Do you miss podcasting? You, I mean, for such a long time, you had like a great Weekly podcast going. Yeah, Hello, I mean, Susan.
1: I had to play second fiddle to you for all that time, but you know, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't do it too badly. I didn't do. Yeah, I do miss it, which is why uh, when I get invites like this, I never hesitate in in accepting the invitation.
0: So so let's talk about England's roster for She believes just announced last week um, the final 23 unlike the US roster that came out where Flakonenovsky will still make some cuts we know the final 23 that'll be coming over to play the US Spain Japan thoughts thoughts on that roster what what surprised you Yeah, I think the
1: biggest surprise was probably the emissions of Mary Earp's goalkeeper for Manchester United, who started England's high-profile friendly against Germany at Wembley back in November. Uh, and Jodie Taylor as well uh, obviously was at the world cup last summer has been a regular in england's squad for the last well 5 years since since breaking into mark sampson's setup back in 2014 2015 they were both omitted from this squad uh, phil neville said in his press conference that uh, jodie the door is definitely not closed on on her making you know future squads but he wanted to have a look at other players and uh, with Mary Earps, he wanted to to take some younger goalkeepers and he's he's brought in Sandy McKeever who um, has literally just come over to England from uh, Clemson University she's just graduated from there and will be playing, playing women uh, so he wants to have a look at her and, and Sandy's very highly rated she had a good uh, college career and, and has now got a move to Everton and has been playing very well for them in the short space of time she's been there uh we've also got grace fisk in the squad as well Now grace is another one that's just finished up in the the us college system having played at the university of south carolina uh, grace is now playing for west ham united they've had a bit of a rough time in the in the short spell that she's been with the club but i know that um that she's played quite well despite those results and Phil Neville spoke very highly of her in his press conference when announcing the squad. So there's a, there's a couple of younger players that that make up this squad. I think he's wanting to have a look at some of those that maybe are potentially on the fringes of the 2021 squad for the Euros next year. I'm not quite sure that some of these players in this 23, well, they definitely won't because the Olympic squad is cut down to 18. But I have a feeling that he's looking at some players in this competition for 2021 as opposed to for the Olympics. But there there was a few surprises, the the omission of Earps and Taylor and the inclusion of maybe some of the younger players.
0: Well, and I think this is such an interesting tournament for England um, in that, yes, the bulk of these players are competing for a spot for the Olympics, but the Olympic team is Team GB. You know, it's it's a Great Britain team. It's not exclusively England. So they're going into this tournament with that on the horizon, but also, like you mentioned, you're really planning for Euro 2021, right? And and so he has the luxury of bringing in some young players to kind of get their feet wet in a way that, you know, the U.S. team, it's like, no, you're not breaking in a new player right now. You're fine-tuning for this summer, you know, and, and same for Japan. And then Spain, not in the Olympics at all. So they're just, I would assume, focusing on... Planning for Euro twenty twenty one. So you've got very different playing styles, very different um, arcs of preparation, right? Uh, so it. I, I'm just looking at this to be a really interesting tournament, kind of like we saw last year, where once they broke it up and it wasn't all um, European teams versus the US, like the the style differences made it so much more dynamic.
1: Yeah, for sure. And and he said that. This competition is not being used as an audition for the Olympics. In fact, he said that he's banned any kind of conversation or mention of the Olympics and Team GB during this camp and during the She Believes Cup. He's looking at this very much as an England squad, not an England squad that is preparing to to transition into Team GB. He's very much looking at players competing for the She Believes Cup. They want to win it they take this competition very seriously. He takes it very seriously. He said that, you know, for him, other than, you know, the major tournaments, he looks at the Sheba Cup as the main competition or the main, you know, um, matches that England will play. Excuse me, mate. <coughs> that England will play um, it, it, over the calendar year. So he he's taking this seriously and I think that's that's backed up by the squad that he's selected. There's a lot of depth in there. Um, but as you say, at at least five of these players are going to miss out on the Olympics, but because of the non-English players that are, that are in the picture, it's likely to be more.
0: Well, and, and let's, let's talk about that a little bit because, um, you know, it's it's not always an easy thing for people to understand how uh, you know it's not England that's going to be playing in the Olympics because, of course, in the soccer world, in the FIFA world, you have four separate associations. You have England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland. They all compete independently. Um, in the Olympic world, you have what is that you said it is the British Olympic Association. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that's, they, they compete as a group. And so, you know, in recent Olympic history, you haven't seen, um, you know, a, a team coming from the UK and after the English women finished third in, in the world cup in 2015, they would have had a berth for 2016, but I don't know if the decision hadn't been made to go ahead or, you know, just following 2012, where of course in 2012 with London hosting, that was a big deal. I remember, I mean, so much promotion around Team GB and those great rosters. Uh, not sorry, the great jerseys. Um, you know, that kind of uh, brought into the the Union Jack design. You know, but that was really, frankly, you know, an English team with a couple of Scottish players thrown on, right? Um, so it seems like going into this cycle that. Maybe they had made the decision before the Women's World Cup of like, hey, if England does or whoever you know does finish high enough, that maybe we'll do a team GB again. Um, and so it was England again finishing, finishing high enough to qualify. So talk about, I mean, some of the nuances of that, how and how that affects the players, how how the FAs handle that. Um, you know, what what you think about it?
1: Yeah, I, I think you've pretty much. Hit the nail on the head. Um, it is a, a complex kind of situation that we we find ourselves in when it comes to when it comes to sport in 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 particular for for Olympic games because you have these four nations that are traditionally used to competing against each other, as you say, England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, and in some cases don't like each other either. You know, it's it's well kind of documented and it's it's a kind of a bit of an ongoing thing and for some a little bit of a joke that the other home nations don't necessarily like England very much. Um, not necessarily specific to women's football, but in general, um, you know, when it comes to things like rugby the other home nations tend to want to be England more than any other of the, of, of the other teams. So, you know, you're then <laughs> thrown into a situation where once every four years, um, when it comes to the biggest, along with the world cup, uh, and the women's world cup, the, the biggest sporting event on the calendar that the Olympic games, you're then asking these, um, home nations to come together as one. And, with football, that's always been a little bit complex and that's why we didn't see a Team GB in Rio in 2016 because, putting it frankly, the other home nations didn't support having a team in Rio. There is a concern amongst the Scottish FA, Welsh FA and Northern Irish FA that they are going to lose their independent status or that it will jeopardise the perception of them being independent teams. Um, right, right. This time round, for 2020, it would be fair to say that there is still a lack of support from those home nations. But unlike in 2016, they have said that they will not stand in the way of players who are selected for Team GB. Um, I spoke to um, someone in in Wales recently, um, and they said that the people there are very, very feel very strongly about this and actually we shouldn't play it down you know there are people who who don't think that Welsh players should go to the Olympics there are likely to be people in Scotland who don't think that Scottish players should go to the Olympics and the same in Northern Ireland so you know there is political sensitivities over this one for sure Um, but ultimately there are players from some of these countries that may never have the opportunity to play in Olympic Games unless it is through Team GB's women's football right. team. So do we have the right, or do these people have the right, who are looking at it from a political standpoint, to to take away the dream of these individuals? Would, would it have been right for Kim Little and Ifeoma Dieke to have been prevented from turning out for Team GB in 2012? Is it right? if selected, that Caroline Weir or Erin Cuthbert or Jess Fishlock or Sophie Ingle, whoever it might be, are prevented from playing in the Olympics this year. I I don't think it is. And I think the federations recognise that. And while they are not willing to throw their full support behind the Team GB, they have said that they won't stand in the way of the players.
0: Well, and I also think about um, English players of the past, like Kelly Smith. I remember one of the first articles I ever wrote read about Kelly Smith. It's like you know she's this you know star, uh, you know, and but won't ever get to play in the Olympics because, mm. yeah, and that was the first time I was, I was like, wait, why not? And then understanding, you know, that nuance. So that's what you know when I think about the last cycle that. The English players that finished third at the Women's World Cup didn't even have that opportunity to go play in Rio, even without players from the other federations, right? Like, yeah. and again, you've got all the, those um, organizational things that, you know, n- not pure politics, but definitely like the sports politics of, you know, well, I run this event, you run that event. You know, I I think Olympics is just such a fascinating thing in, in soccer because the Olympics are their own event in a way, but each sport is run by that sports governing body. You know, so I've had a lot of people say, wait, why does FIFA control the Olympics? It's like, well, they control soccer, just like FINA controls swimming, you know, and each, you know, each sport has its its governing body. But it's, yeah, it's such a fascinating, like a little asterisk to have to explain to people. Um, yeah, there's going to be this English team, but it's not exactly England. And, you know, I love the little Team GB nickname. And, and what I think is fascinating is there's not going to be a lot of prep for it. I mean there wasn't in 2012. Um I think you said that you know they played like one game uh before the London 2012 soccer tournament started. So it's yeah it's that middle of the road attitude I guess of hey, you know, we don't want to prevent anyone from doing this but we don't want to be wholeheartedly embracing this.
1: Yeah, I think they had one friendly up in the northeast of England before they, they they turned out for the the London Olympics. I think it was against Sweden off the top of my head. It was a double header. The men also played on the same the same day. I'm not hundred percent certain whether they're gonna play any matches before this tournament. We certainly haven't been told of any right now. Um, I think the likelihood is is that the, the women's super league runs until something like the sixteenth of May, I think it is. And mm-hmm it's likely that the players will maybe get a couple of weeks off. And my guess is that they would probably meet up sometime around early June um, before the before the Olympics begins, which I think the Olympic tournament is the something like the middle of July, third week of July, something like that. Yeah,
0: yeah. The so, women's games start July twenty second. Yeah, so you don't get
1: a huge amount of time. England will be lucky if they maybe have four to six weeks in in advance of that tournament starting. Um, what's going to be really interesting is is like you said, you know. Vladko Andonovsky's got a really difficult decision in that he's going to have to cut down how, whatever the 23 is of his She Believes Cup comp- uh, his roster down to 18. The, the advantage that he's got is that those 18 players will have been made up of that 23 for the She Believes Cup. Phil right. Neville is likely to have players in his 18 that have never played uh, with some of these English players well, on a national scale, on, a, on an international scale. Uh, or an international level. You know, if, for example, as I say, Kim Little is selected, she's played with the Arsenal players, but she's never been in the same team as Bethany England. She's never been in the same team as Kira Walsh. You know, you're asking players from Scotland and potentially Wales as well. I have to say it's unlikely any Northern Ireland players are going to be selected, but you're potentially asking players from Scotland and Wales to go into what will be predominantly an England team and you've only got 4 to 6 weeks to embed them into that squad so it is going to be very difficult and i think this is why while team gb are confident i think of meddling a gold medal to me seems a little bit a little bit ambitious when you have teams that are used to being together of that 18 players that are used to being together
0: well and and it's almost like an all star team yeah,
1: that's that's a good right? way of looking at it. Yeah, it's like a it's like a UK all star team. It's exactly a good way of doing it. Love looking at it.
0: Well, and then let's let's talk FAWSL because uh, you know as you referenced, they'll wrap up by by mid May, and this is what I think the tenth season of of the league. Um, of course, we saw such a big change a couple seasons ago as they asked everybody to what like re-register that's not the the right word for it but they establish new standards for the upper tier right yeah that's apply for and, life that's apply for yeah life. And, and and what i think is interesting as we've seen uh, a lot of the australian players leave nwsl it seems like they're all heading to europe and mostly um the FAWSL. I mean, what 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 do you think about that? I mean, tell tell me just about what you've seen FAWSL do th- this season. It seems like they they have used a lot of the momentum following the Women's World Cup.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair, and and I, I do wonder. I've not had, unfortunately, the opportunity to speak to any of the Australian players yet because they've joined their respective clubs uh, around the time of Asia Olympic qualifiers. So uh, other than Sam Kerr, um, Caitlin Ford, Chloe Legazzo and Haley Rasso, who are the other three Australians to come over, they haven't actually played for their club yet. Um, Haley's going to be delayed. It was a tweet that went out from the Matildas account saying that she was had surgery after a, I think it was a broken nose. And Caitlin is likely to make her debut this coming weekend, I think. And and Chloe, I think, is is currently recovering from injury as well. So uh, I I do wonder if it's if it's a case of these players wanting to actually try and see out a season in one country. You all know as well as I do, and if not better the demands of of Australian players playing virtually all year round with competing in the NWSL from, let's say, March when pre-season starts through to, if you're fortunate enough to get to the playoffs, October. And then you're going straight into a W League season that runs from November through to early February. So for a lot of these Australian players, they've played for the last few years pretty much, let's be frank, 11 to 12 months of the year without a break. And we've got to fit factor in internationals into that calendar as well.
0: And the, the bar- travel. The, the travel. travel. When, they, yeah. when they do internationals, that's a really... Like, they're not flying across the US or across the pond to Europe. They're flying way <laughs> across the Pacific. Yeah. And, and it's not much
1: better from here, admittedly. You know, uh, England to Australia, if you're going to to Sydney, you're looking at 24 hours of travel with, uh, you know, you can't fly direct, but you're looking at a stop in Dubai, for example, or Singapore maybe, and you're carrying on. You're looking at 24 hours of travel, but where they gain is that we are a small country. So coming, playing week on week, you're talking about short bus journeys, At worst, you're looking at a short flight if they choose to do that. Um, There is a winter break, so there is a two-week winter break over Christmas and New Year. And then, as I said, the season finishes in May and then recommences again in September. So, in theory, June, July, and August, those Australian players can either take off or they may have the occasional international for Australia. But in theory, there is a three-month gap between the season finishing and starting up again. So, you know, it may well be that that is something that they they're kind of interested in. Um, I think there's probably the element of, if we're being totally honest, that teams are in a position where they can offer quite lucrative and and comfortable financial packages. Um, I think it would be fair to say that um Hayley, Caitlin and Sam in particular, I don't know what Bristol City are offering Chloe Legazzo but um I think the other three will be doing quite well out of the contracts that they've been offered. Uh and with the with the salary cap in the United States granted, there is now the allocation money which uh potentially will will hopefully keep a few players in the league and attract some some new ones. Um you know the 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 English clubs don't are restricted by that. So they potentially have the opportunity to maybe offer a little bit more. And and I think the big thing over here, Jen, is Champions League football is a real big draw. Oh, uh, yes. For a lot of overseas players, the Champions League is something that they want to be a part of. Um, and And that is, I'm sure, the reason that some of these players are coming over. But I have to be honest, from a personal perspective, I'm really pleased to see the Australian players come over. I think we've got four really, really high-profile class players coming in. Um, it's not uncommon. We've had Australian players in the past. i say four. We also have Jacinta Galabaraki, who is playing at West Ham, but she's a little bit younger and not quite on that Matilda's uh, radar yet. But I think there are probably a number of factors as to why they've come over to England and uh, and why they're leaving the NWSL. And I have to be honest, I can't confirm any for, for certain at the moment, but I don't think the four that we've seen come over are going to be the last. I think there's one or two more that maybe will look to come over from NWSL for the, uh, the beginning of next season.
0: Well, and I think it speaks to where we are on the arc of growth for all of all three of these leagues for the Westfield W League for NWSL and FAWSL, right? So FAWSL is following the traditional model of, you know, basically August to May, right? Which, Which flows really well with international breaks and is long enough that you know, that's, that's your season. Um, you know, we've seen with the growth of of W league and NWSL NWSL moving to a longer season, not having like the crazy season they had in 2014, where, you know, you had teams regularly playing three games in eight days, you know, which included cross country travel, right? Like we don't have that anymore and the the season's getting longer. And this is the first season that, uh, clubs provide, will provide players year round housing, you know, so as neat as it was that you had that, um, complimentary season for Australia and NWSL that you could play in both, you know, especially if say you were an up and coming player who wasn't on the national team, that was a great way to stay in shape in the off season. Right. But it just doesn't make sense logistically long-term you know, like you're saying, it's like, it's just, it's too much playing, it's too much travel. Um, And ideally, you know, we'd like to see both leagues, both W League and NWSL be long enough, stand on their own kind of things. I thought it was strange before when I was working on bios for the Women's World Cup last spring, you know, writing bios for Australian players who were only with an Australian club. And I'm like, that's, that's a 14-week season. What are you doing the the, the yeah. rest of the year, right? You know, so, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's not that they're not playing at all, but that means they're playing even lower level. Um, yeah, than, than there's that.
1: not many. There's not many, but there, there are a few. You're right. And I think some of those, I think Claire Polkinghorn for a little while may have been one of those. I know she had... A stint with Houston, but I think there may have been a period where she was only playing down in the W League. Katrina Gorey may have been another as well, but Lisa Devanna, uh, yeah. Other. But they've all, I mean, I think Claire's gone to to Norway now, Lisa Devanna's playing in Italy, but I think we've seen it on, on the flip side as well, Jen. You know, I mean, look at the players that had been in the NWSL and over the last few years had gone. To the W League, I'd look at someone like Danielle Colaprico Didn't go to the W League this this season. Um, Correct. I think that's probably off the back of a difficult season for her. I spoke to her um, for a piece that I wrote about Sam Kerr when she joined Chelsea, and, and Danny told me that last season was one of the most difficult of her career because of the injuries that she'd sustained, and and I cannot in any way compl- like say for certain but for Danny to have played NWSL then W League then NWSL then W League then NWSL it's like the Australian players we talk a lot about the travel and the commitments that they have but the players who are not US Federation internationals who are having to fill that time when the NWSL is not being played so we we're seeing it at the moment aren't we Aubrey Bledsoe is down in Australia again um you know there are up well, obviously Lynn Williams has just cut her time short with Western Sydney Kristen and Ham- Kristen Hamilton is down there at the moment. You know, if they're not elected right. by the fed- by the US uh, Federation for the national team, then they're filling that void by-, by going down to Australia. And that's tough. That's a big commitment to play those two seasons back to back. And um, yeah, it, you know, we're seeing the Australian players, I think, suffer a little bit as a result of it, but there are definitely some American players that have suffered a little too.
0: Yeah, and 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 it's it, it's the growing pains, and and I've also wondered, especially for those players that don't have the international commitments on top of playing, you know, two leagues, um, is with the growth of the sport and more teams, and uh, you know how the the infrastructure is behind all these teams, right? Like we know at the U.S. national team level and, and you know, and for the, the England national team, they're getting the best available training, support, medical support, right? Health, nutrition, that kind of thing. Um, you know, in the smaller leagues, in the growing leagues, you know, club to club, I would think that that support could vary Greatly, right? Um, I mean, even just from what I've seen in in Houston since the club started six years ago, the the resources available to them have gotten so, so much better. I mean, just, you know, to, to not just a medical trainer and, you know, a hospital sponsor, but like, you know, nutritionist and, you know, just level of support and... I think there's there's still so much of that, you know. I, I would I would guess that's being run um, not as professionally as it could be. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not trying to point any fingers at anyone. So much as just to say it's like it's a it's a growing business, right? Yeah. So with, yeah, like right. standards you're not, you're standards, standards get yeah standards, yeah, yeah standards get better every year um yeah. and and i and i feel like we're going through that growing phase of all right this was nice that you could have these complimentary seasons but it's just it's not feasible for for the long term so i'm really interested to see what happens uh you know what the w league does for next season in terms of the structure and the schedule because this one pushed got pushed back so late i think cuz of the the fifa windows that it's actually running into NBA preseason, right? And I don't know yeah. if they'll release those players early or late. Um, yeah. But yeah, and then and then the last thing I want to get your thoughts on is the ICC tournament that we've seen both of the last two summers. Um, you know, we haven't heard anything about this year because, of course, the way where the Olympics falls. But you know, I'd love I'd love it if we could see something like that again because until I think until we have. Um, you know more structure in Concacaf across more countries having women's leagues. You know that's the ICC is going to be the closest thing the US is going to have to having something like what the Champions League is, right? So seeing top teams from different leagues competing against each other.
1: Yeah, and 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 they've said, haven't they, that their hope over the coming years is to expand the ICC. Obviously, they've only had four teams over the last two competitions that they've run and the aim is to to expand it. And I know that there has been talk of potentially the four playoff teams in the NWSL being entered into that competition against, you know, what we had, we've had PSG, we've had Lyon, we've had Man City, we've had Atletico Madrid over the last couple of years. Uh, I mean, my, my, my preference would be maybe two teams from the US. Maybe you have the, the previous year's championship team teams, I don't know. But, um, you know, we now have, uh, you know, this week that Japan is going to now have a fully really professional league. It would be brilliant to have uh, one of the Japanese teams come over to that ICC tournament, Inak Kobe, yes. in the past. has been an unbelievable team and, and I would love to see some Asian representation. I think Africa, we're probably a little way off of African representation. I would hope that sometime in the future we could have that. Uh, but
0: I think- and and get a Liga mex team coming up from oh, south of the yeah, border, you know, like-
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it doesn't have to be restricted, in my view, to the, to North America or certainly the NWSL and Europe. You know, I would love to see a Liga mexica team. We hear so much about the interest in the league, but I'm the first to admit, I haven't I haven't seen very much, if anything, of the. Of the league um, due to accessibility, but I would love to see some Asian representation. I would love to see some Liga Mexico. I would love to see, uh, you know, maybe a couple more European teams come into that competition. I think, you know, until we get an official FIFA Club World Cup, which we've sort of heard, you know, murmurs that that is on the horizon then it would be brilliant to see, you know, why not a team from the W League? The problem is with a team from the W League, it's, it, we would have American players and Australian players not knowing which <laughs> team they'd have to play for. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's a real opportunity there with the ICC and I don't think it has to be dominated by teams from the NWSL and Europe. I think we definitely need to see some representation from Asia. There's some unbelievable talent. In Japan, in China, in South Korea, in not even in North Korea, although that's a slightly more difficult one for political reasons. But um, you know, let's let's get those those teams over there, and and I have no issue with it being hosted in the United States for the for the time being. But I think you know, for me, the ICC probably needs to to have a look at being um, you know rotated around the different continents as well, and, and seeing where we can play that competition.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean there's there's so much going on right now it's it's so exciting it's like being being around for the birth of a new nation right yeah for sure <laughs> <laughs> we we all got in on the ground floor and there's just Absolutely. so much more Absolutely. more exciting stuff to come well karen thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me about wo so always enjoyed chatting with you and i highly recommend you know that everyone uh, if you're not already already following karen on on twitter you can also um, Check out the Athletic UK. I mean, why, here, why don't why do we end with uh, you giving a plug for the Athletic, Kieran?
1: Well, I I would love to, and and I wouldn't just plug myself. I think everyone who who follows the Athletic or your podcast um, will know that we we have a brilliant brilliant um, you know writer on the American side as well in, in Meg Linehan and and Meg does phenomenal stuff promoting the NWSL and, and the US women's national team and everything around what goes on your side of the pond. But I think, you know, hopefully between Meg and myself we we try and give as much coverage as we can. We try to do things a little bit different. Um, you know, I would love to point people to the the piece that I did with Viviane Um I sat down with her and, and, sat and went through a, a really kind of analytical piece, uh, analysing five of her goals that she talked through. Um, you know, we ran them through and she talked about everything from movement to the, you know, the positioning to the... The, the type of finish that it was and and i think that's where maybe we can offer something a little bit different so uh, yeah definitely definitely give us a, a look and uh, if not for myself and and the european side then definitely for meg's stuff for what she's doing on the on the u.s side
0: well thank you so much karen thanks jen anytime Time for a little planning. Today's topic, Team GB. So in the soccer world, which, as we all know, is controlled by FIFA, there are four federations within the United Kingdom that each have their own national teams, national soccer teams, England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, despite the fact that the UK is one country. However, for the Olympics, the UK competes together, as Great Britain, or Team GB. So there's a variety of factors dictating who, if anyone, gets to represent Great Britain in the Olympic women's soccer tournament. The main concern of the four federations, aka the home nations, is that FIFA might force them to merge into one federation. So in general, they are very reticent to support a combined team. Now England, despite qualifying for the first Women's Olympic Soccer Tournament in 1996, they didn't get to participate, Um, because at the time, those four federations could not agree on how to work with the British Olympic Association. So back in 96, Brazil took England's place. Same issue remained when England finished high enough at the 2007 Women's World Cup to qualify for the 2008 Olympics. So once again, they missed out. However, with London hosting the 2012 Olympics, Team GB had an automatic berth. So a combined team of 16 English players and two Scottish players formed the first women's Team GB for soccer and reached the quarterfinals of the 2012 tournament. Of course, a few years later, despite England finishing as the best European team of the 2015 Women's World Cup, they still didn't get to play in the Rio Olympics the following year. Since, again, the opposition remained, especially from Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, um, towards a combined team. Now, thankfully, in fall 2018, the federations did agree that a British women's team would be allowed for the 2020 Olympics. So, by virtue of finishing in fourth place last summer, England, earned a spot for Team GB this summer in Japan. But it's interesting to note that the agreement among the federations only applies to a women's team, still not to a men's team. And the general attitude, as Karen mentioned in our chat, is more the, we won't stand in a player's way if, you know, if a Scottish player wants to play for for Team GB as opposed to, oh, we're so happy that our players are doing this. Long story, but I hope... I hope that all made sense. All right, Jen Cooper, The Keeper here with Haley Rosen, the founder of Just Woman Sports, also a former Stanford Cardinal and former pro player for Glasgow City. Haley, thank you for joining me today.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Well,
0: I I discovered your website last month and did a little googling to figure it out. I was like, hey, I kind (laughs) of know the person behind this. I'm I'm intrigued by this. Here's here's someone who played at, you know, one of the best women's soccer programs in the country, played abroad, and then apparently went, No, I'm gonna have a business career. So I I'm I'm very I'm very curious to to hear about that. But let's let's start with you played at Stanford it's time to graduate, you know, how do you yeah. decide as a player, um, you know, do I keep playing after college? Do I stay in NWSL or do I go abroad? What was that process like for you?
2: Yeah. Um, I think I had a pretty unusual college experience. I unfortunately just dealt with a lot of injuries. My freshman year, I tore my hamstring and had to red shirt, sophomore year, I tore the into my ankle, junior year, I had a concussion that rolled into my senior year. So really like my first and only year of college soccer was my fifth year. And it was really weird to be the oldest person on the team and also sort of feel like a freshman. Um, in some ways it was like sort of the, you know, it's the first time I was like really a part of what was happening on the field and actually healthy enough to help the team, for a full season, and it was awesome. It was, it was so fun, and it was so rewarding. And especially after, you know, four years of like a lot of setbacks, a lot of heartache, it was just like so, so rewarding. Um, so when my fifth year ended, I never thought in a million years I would do this, but I just wasn't done, and I wanted to keep playing. Um, so I actually pursued getting a sixth year, which I had because I had redshirted, uh, medically redshirted twice. And so mm-hmm. I didn't enter the NWSL draft. I didn't, you know, wasn't on my radar. I was coming back, you know, to be like the oldest player in the history of college soccer. Um, <laughs> but <clears throat> I ended up not getting my sixth year because there was a paperwork error that was filed my freshman year. So um, that was just incredibly disappointing, really, really heartbreaking. We could probably have a discussion about the NCAA, but that's maybe for another time. Um, <laughs> So I honestly just, I just wasn't done. And honestly, I probably wasn't mentally ready to like leave college sports. Like I felt like I had just dipped my toe in the water and I wanted more of it. Um, So I definitely wanted to keep playing. So I had been invited into a couple NWSL camps um, and I ended up playing uh, with the Washington spirit for a little bit. And um, it was like, a phenomenal opportunity it was like such a special group of girls I learned it so much just like the pace of play is just you know college soccer is such a high level but the NWL professional is just it really is just a step up the pace of play is just so much faster the decision making is sharper the girls are just you know just a little bit fitter just a little bit stronger um so I just learned a ton uh, but unfortunately I don't think it was a very strategic decision to go to the Washington Spirit because they not only had a full roster, but they had like an abundance of reserve players as well. So by the time I sort of realized, like, oh, there's not going to be a roster spot for me, the international window had closed. I didn't even know there was a window that, you know, you can still play <laughs> in Sweden or Germany. I thought you could just go whenever. That's not the case. Yeah,
0: they um, need to give a class in this. There needs to be a college yeah, class. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, Sorry. Um, no, it's definitely not the case. Um, but so by the time I decided like, oh, I would really love to pursue abroad opportunities, you know, the NWCL was underway, the rosters were set, I had sort of missed that window. And especially not being drafted since I didn't enter the draft, you know, it's a it's a tough environment to go into. Um, so at that time, you know, I was just looking for an opportunity and I honestly sort of stumbled into this Glasgow city opportunity. It was like a friend of a friend had heard of them. And Glasgow city is like, it's so cool for people that don't know about it. Like the main teams in Scotland are like Rangers and Celtics. And, you know, there's a couple other, but on the women's side, basically there's this group of women, this group of women that were like, hey they're not investing enough in the women's game like screw that we're going to create our own team so it's like female founded by like ex-soccer players and they just like scrapped together resources and figured out how to create like the most dominant team in scotland and this team has just right. not only dominated scotland but you know now they play in champions league and they've done really well in champions league like i think two seasons ago they like were in the semis or just something like that it's just It's just, it was like really, really cool and special to see just sort of the sheer will of people that wanted to make this team exist and go. Um, And that was also just like a really awesome experience. It was really special getting to play in Champions League. It was a really good, like, you know, introduction to being abroad since, you know, obviously in the UK they speak English. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But like for me, unfortunately, I dealt with a little bit more. Injuries in our first Champions League game, I went to a tackle and had a strained LCL. And so I think, you know, you kind of touched on like when do you decide to stop playing? <laughs> um, you know, that injury was just like really a bummer. Um, I came back and was invited to play with the Seattle Rain for a little bit. And I played with I was playing with them a little bit in preseason and I just couldn't get over the injury hump. And my knee was bugging me. My hamstring was bugging me. My ankle was bugging me. And uh, it just, like, there was just the injury started taking away from the joy of the game. And it started, like, really messing with me mentally in terms of, like, you know, not wanting to push as much or, you know, you're doing sprints, but you're kind of holding back because you don't want to strain something. And um, I just, like, felt like I could no longer – push to be the best player I could be because of my body Um, and at the same time I had a really exciting job opportunity so it just kind of all came together for me Um, and I just kind of talked for a really long time so I'm going to pause here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's, I mean, that's what I always find so fascinating is the different background for players, because it's, it's not as easy as, Oh, you just pick up a menu and say, I want this, this, and this, right? Like there's still that learning curve, I think um, because women's pro soccer is still very young, um, at least from an American's perspective. So, you know, I I think it would be common that most players are not going to be aware coming out of college that, Oh, there are these transfer windows. um, And yes, I do need to declare for end of your cell if I want to be eligible that first year. Um, And and I would think to your process of, Hey, I, I think I'm eligible for another year because of my red shirts. I want to play, you know, do I want to play? Do I not want to play? Um, it's 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 not as easy as, you know, those of us on the outside. It's like, oh, why doesn't she just play another year? It's like, well, you know, can she? Is she up for it? You know, is her body up for it? Does she want to? You know, what, what, what are the other choices? So I yeah. I thought it was interesting to see that, uh, you know, you had not only a bachelor's degree from Stanford, but it looked like you have a master's as well. So you certainly took advantage of, of the time there.
2: Yeah, I guess it's definitely one of the upsides of getting injured and being like the <laughs> oldest player ever on the team. <laughs> you spend more time there. It had some really awesome opportunities, which was which was awesome.
0: And so talk about this opportunity that came about. I'm assuming you're talking about just women's sports, um and, and how the various pieces came together. It seems like it's a nice <laughs> blend of sport, technology, media. Um, and all back in the Bay Area.
2: Yeah, totally. So, um, you know, really, like, quick summary of Just Women's Sports, just for context is, I mean, I think we all know this, it's like 4%, and I actually just heard that it actually went down to 3% of sports coverage is dedicated to women's sports. So really, we're trying to solve that. Um, And for me, like, the timing of all this just is really interesting. I had... I was working in tech in Silicon Valley and I had just left the women's sports world. And, you know, even being in Scotland and being around the NWSL, like it just seemed like there was so much momentum. It was, you know, viewership, attendance, investment, everything was just up, up, up. And there was just so much excitement in the space. And then I left that world and I'm working in tech. And there was no way to follow it. There was no way to engage. I mean, basically my, the best way I could follow my friends that were still playing was following their social accounts, following them on Instagram and Twitter. And it just made no sense to me. And it's never made any sense to me, but it felt like, you know, with the world cup, like I just really believed it was going to be a big year with the Olympics coming off the heels of that. It just felt like now was the moment to really build something like this. And Um, yeah, we like kind of, it started as an experiment. We started basically just reposting Instagram highlight or sports highlights on Instagram. And the account just started growing and growing and growing. And that really served as like our validation to really go after this market and try and, you know, really create the coverage that I think this this space deserves. And
0: was there discussion of do all women's sports, some women's sports or just focus on like, you know, did you think maybe just soccer or or how did you decide what the the focus would be?
2: I, you know, for me personally, like, I just think that I really just believe in female athletes and I just think it's time for, to build, them, cover them, cover this world, cover the leagues and the teams. I think for us, you know, my connections are in soccer, my world is soccer. So we have sort of leaned as soccer as our starting point. Uh, but we would love, we want it to be all sports. And right now we're pretty focused on, you know, kind of what they call the big six, um, the six more mainstream sports, but we would love to get into everything. But, you know, one thing at a time.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it it is a challenge. Um, and we, we have, I think, seen some sites come and go that, you know, want to do everything and you can spread yourself pretty thin that way, right?
2: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think when you see like for me, when I see that number 4%, it's a really exciting opportunity, but there's definitely a question of where do you start? And I think, and some, as we, are you know, started getting this platform going, we made some wrong turns at the beginning, but I think that's really led us to where we are today, which I think is really the right path. And what we've tried to do is, you know, we are broad, we're covering more women's sports, but we're super focused on our platform. So right now we're only exist on social as a newsletter and on our website, which right now, you know, we're still only pushing like two to three content pieces a week. And as we ramp up, we'll build out more and more and more, but we're definitely like, we're trying to be focused more on the platforms while we're sort of a little bit broader in terms of the sports and the coverage.
0: And what other kind of, um, you know, people are are you working with? I mean, is it all people with sports backgrounds, or you know, how what are what are the pieces necessary to to launch something like this?
2: Um, this is a huge undertaking. So uh, I think one of the benefits of being in Silicon Valley is we're in the heart of venture capital. So we were able to raise a pre-seed round a couple months ago, and that's been let us build our initial team. Um, and our initial team today, which I'm, like, really excited about, uh, you know, it's a lot of people that have been in the women's sports world. It's a lot of people that play professionally or played in college, and now that they're just, you know, that they're interested in helping the space and pushing it forward, either from, you know, a content perspective or from an operations perspective, marketing perspective, you know, what, whatever it is. But it feels like there's all these people, not just women, out there, that are excited about this space and want to push it forward. So it's been really fun to bring them together. Um and you know we're gonna we're gonna have to raise more capital. I think that's going to be the biggest part of this. You know, um, we talk about investing in women, and that's what this is. I think this space needs a big investment. Um, yeah, so we're hoping to lead that.
0: Well, and last question for you, Haley. Um, are you still playing soccer? And and how much <laughs> how much do you keep in touch with your your former Stanford teammates?
2: I. My former senior teammates, like, I mean, everyone knows who plays sports. Like, those are your best friends. You know, we talk all the time. Like, it, yeah, your teammates, like, that's one of the best parts of my job is I still get to talk to all my friends that are still playing. I mean, I would have talked to them regardless, but now I have an excuse to, like, reach out and stay in touch. And, like, as much as I can, you know, feature people that I think are cool and interesting, like, that's always fun to do. Um and do I still play soccer? I actually um, I just had hip surgery a couple months ago, so still cleaning up my body from some old soccer injuries. So we'll see once I get healthy if I keep playing soccer.
0: So you're probably playing a lot of FIFA video game soccer then.
2: <laughs> I actually don't play FIFA. I'm not a big video game <laughs> person. <laughs> but I watch a lot of soccer <laughs>
0: Awesome. Well, Haley, thanks so much for chatting today and good luck with Just Women Sports.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time.
0: All right. Time to wrap it up with the back four. NWSL 2020 home openers have been announced and we should have the full schedule before the end of this month. The season begins Saturday, April 18th. Hopefully we'll hear about a new TV deal very soon as well. Uh, You can check out the WOSO calendar that I set up on Google Calendar. It's linked at keepernotes.com along with a lot of other great resources. Just click on the WOSO Nerd Links tab. Uh, on the website so you can get to the calendar and some other resources. And if you haven't already heard or you haven't already ordered it, the newest edition of the Keeper Notes NWSL Almanac is available for purchase. You've got a choice of print or PDF or both. The 350-page comprehensive guide to the NWSL's first seven season features a complete player and coach registry, stats by season, overall stats and records, color photos, and lots more, including... Jersey history. You cannot get all this info in one place anywhere else. Just go to keepernotes.com to order. And of course, coming up, not, not very far away, we have the annual She Believes Cup. This year, the U.S. women will be facing England, March 5th in Orlando, Spain, March 8th at Red Bull Arena in Harrison, New Jersey, and then Japan, Wednesday, March 11th in Frisco, Texas. Tickets are on sale at ussoccer.com, and all the games, even the ones not featuring the USA, will be broadcast on one of the ESPN channels, or ESPN3 online. Now, 26 players have been named by Vlatko Ivanovski to the camp to prepare for the tournament. Ultimately, he will have to cut three players from that roster before the tournament begins. And speaking of lists of players, the list of the 32 U.S. and Canada subsidized players for NWSL 2020 have been announced. Tiana Davidson and Allie Krieger are now on the subsidized list for the Americans. McCall, McCall Zerboni has been removed. The Canadian allocations didn't change. You can view the entire list, or rather you can view the list of allocated players by team, as well as other roster info for each NWSL club at keepernotes.com, just click on that magic WOSO nerd link tab. All right, that's it for this episode of the Mix Zone. Big thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US soccer. You can get custom scarves for your group at roughneckscarves.com. And if you're tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas, and you're looking for a completely custom kit for your youth club or your adult team, or even maybe a pro team, Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your custom kit today at IcarusFC.com. All right, many thanks to everyone who's been listening. Thanks to anyone who's referred this podcast to a friend. And of course, big thanks to Sean for putting this all together. But now she's Let's go.